Welcome, everybody. Yeah, welcome to NymphEd Alumni. Today, we're doing a kind of special episode that's less so like trend reporting and more just something that we're all fascinated by and a cultural phenomenon that has flavored our summer with its tropical vibes. And that is tiki, which it's almost been like a century since tiki was brought into existence. It's true. So it's very historical and it has a lot of global influences, a lot of interesting questions regarding like cultural appropriation and like sampling and the American form of combining things and making them kind of kitschy and commercialized. We all got really into Tiki and there is also, this isn't necessarily a trend, but I did observe for the month of, and right now it's September you know, but we're kind of doing a retrospective on the summer and Tiki was something that really colored each of our summers individually in weird, like independent ways. Like I had a bunch of friends that each like got into Tiki and were really into Tiki over the summer and like no one was like communicating with each other about it, but everyone seemed to be really on that train. It's in the ether. It was very in the ether. Yeah. I would say it actually didn't color my summer, but I wish that it did. I mean, we got Tiki drinks. We did. Were those tiki drinks? Yeah, they were pina coladas. That still counts. That one is questionably not tiki. Yeah. Okay, so tiki, question for the culture number one. (laughs) What are tiki drinks? Because tiki is very much founded on alcoholism. Should we get started with that? Yes. Um, Okay, so tiki is a culture, um, generally, but it's... (laughs) (laughs) Like if you if you talk about the word tiki, it's probably in relation to like a tiki bar. Yeah, actually, Sam, do you want to describe the drinks? I think you've actually had real tiki drinks, which are very different than just like a, a fruity drink. I feel like those are the three qualities: like fruity, rum, and frozen. Which like sometimes things can be all of those things, but they're not necessarily tiki. You know, this all kind of started because um, randomly, me and my boyfriend were trying to watch a documentary, and we just randomly came across this tiki documentary, and we watched it. I got super into the vibes and we were like, we should just go to a tiki bar. And like the next day we Googled like nearest tiki bar uh, to us. And the one we went to is called Tiki Tatsuya, which is in Austin. And it's apparently one of the best tiki bars in the world. We had no idea. And we got in. <sighs> it's really like amazing. And we we got there and it was like, we got in, we slipped past the reservations due to like a fluke or whatever. And like we were interrogating the bartender and I think like tiki is definitely always rum. It's almost always overproof rum. So it's extremely alcoholic rum, right? Um, and it's definitely like a combination of spices that make a tiki drink um, and also a balance of different like liqueurs. And I was getting, I was asking the bartender because he was clearly not just a bartender. He was also very into tiki as a concept. And I was asking him like, why are you into tiki? Like, what's like the appeal to you? And he was like, um, he said, I've been a bartender for 10 years. I take this really seriously. And I, I take this job like of mixology very seriously. And I got really into tiki because tiki drinks are the hardest to make and execute perfectly as a bartender because it's such a complex recipe. And so he um, mastered all of the recipes of the original tiki drinks, which we can get into how those came about, which we could talk about Don the Beachcomber, I guess, a bit and who he is. Yeah. Wait, before that, I want to mention some historical context. So tiki kind of rose out of 
prohibition, which was um, from 1920 to 1933 in the United States. It was like the dark ages of alcohol consumption and that it was like not easy to drink alcohol. But coming out of that, being able to mix really good drinks and like carefully balance cocktails for guests became a huge sign of sophistication. So kind of around the mid-century out of prohibition, which came around because like Americans were drinking too much and like getting really rowdy and like you know, spending their life savings on gambling and beating their wives and stuff came this more genteel, like form of alcohol consumption that was more, I don't know, cocktails are just different to like drinking beer or drinking, um, I don't know, like liquor. There's something that just changes the way you behave. It was also during the Great Depression. So the first tiki bar was opened at the end of the Prohibition, which was in 1933, which was during the Great Depression. So I guess it is like, these very fantastical cocktails that really do help you escape the literal Great Depression yeah. <laughs> uh, along with um, the environment of tiki bars, which, so I'm going to reference this New York Times kind of tiki explainer that is really well done, has some infographics, not infographics, watercolors. Um, <laughs> but this is, this is a good way to understand the kind of pan-cultural thing that tiki is. It says, tiki was created by Americans, but they took rum from the Caribbean, food from Asia, and iconography from the Pacific, put them all on the shaker, strained the results, and called it tiki. Well, that's something we can talk about as well. And maybe we could talk about this a bit later, but this is something that I, my friend, Barrett Abner, he also randomly got into Tiki, like independently of me and my boyfriend. And we randomly like, were like talking to each other about it. And he did an episode on Tiki or somewhat on his podcast contain where the thesis of it was like Tiki and utopias in general are always tend to like trend really hard during recessions. And this like dates back to even like the Renaissance era, which is like, um, we read this book on Tiki that Alexi very kindly sent us. Thank you, Alexi. And um, I thought it was really interesting because like our like Western conceptions of Polynesian culture started out in this like early enlightenment era where people was, were still very obsessed with um, the idea of like paradise lost. And they came to Polynesia and thought this is an Eden. Paradise is not lost. This is truly like paradise. Um, and this is like super attractive to a lot of people who were rejecting the ills of um, modern society, technology. Um, we can get more into this a bit later because there's like a lot of history here when it comes to different eras of people rejecting. Like there's like Jack Rousseau and like liberalism, the romantics, you know, it seems like every single movement in literature and Western culture that rejected modernism and kind of idolized nature and primitivism and thought civilization was corrupting, they seem to have some sort of encounter with Polynesia at some point, which I think is really interesting. I love it. I love the open seas as well. Yeah. <laughs> the nautical vibes of it all. Yeah. Polynesia, have any of you guys been there? <laughs> mm. I don't think so. <laughs> no, yeah. Oh, I think we should get into Don the Beachcomber because all of these concerns mm -hmm. are, yes. are rolled up into his biography. So... Mm -hmm. I literally went into a Don the Beachcomber spiral today because he is he a very fantastical you. figure. Yeah. He literally possessed me today. Um, <laughs> okay, so Don the Beachcomber, also known as Don Beach, um, opened the first ever tiki bar ever, and he is widely credited with inventing tiki and creating the first tiki drinks. 
um, Don Beach is sadly not his real name. It's actually Ernest Scant. He's from Texas, maybe New Orleans. There are Shout lots out. of legends. He's yep. like very mythological. Yeah. He's very mythological. And he also was a, a bootlucker. Boot, <laughs> boot, <laughs> bootlicker. No, he was a bootlicker slash rum runner during prohibition so yeah he has this very like mythological adventure spirit allegedly he explored the south pacific but no one can confirm but they can confirm that he was a world war ii uh a veteran but not in the pacific theater uh and okay so basically he opened a bar called don the beachcomber in southern california in 1933 and he became known for his rum rhapsodies which were the first tiki drinks they were really elaborate and theatrical and featured fresh juices and house-made syrups and could have upwards of 10 ingredients. Oh. I want to say that the one part that's really uh, significant to me because I am a girl from um, the Caribbean is that he spent some time in Jamaica. And so I feel like that's where his um, rum drink fascination came from because rum is like traditionally a product of the West Indies and yeah. has like a huge influence on our drinking culture. So also the pina colada that you were mentioning, Biz, I was reading this article about how the pina colada was like invented in Puerto Rico, I think. So there are all of these like elements of drinks from different islands that he literally like picked up along the way. Like he <laughs> is like an adventurer truly who really just was sampling goods and flavors from around the world. That's something that's really interesting about tiki is that wasn't the food served at Don the Beachcomber's Chinese food? Yeah. Yeah, but it was like American Chinese food. It was like Yeah. Yeah. So Don the Beachcomber is um widely credited with inventing the I don't know how to say it. Is it the poo poo platter? It definitely is poo poo platter. <laughs> it's poo poo platter, yeah. Yeah, he's probably invented the poo poo platter, which is um kind of like Chinese foods american chinese food serve as kind of an assortment so it's kind of like just little like finger foods to eat um and it says that both so basically at the time don the, okay, so don the beach comer became a pretty popular bar and it was ripped off by someone named victor uh bergeron who made a tiki restaurant in northern california in 1937 called trader vicks and both Don the Beachcomber and Trader Vic served Chinese food because it was considered exotic. But like you said, Alexi, it was American Chinese food. So it was like identifiable to American palates. So that also comes back to this idea mm-hmm. that like, like people actually didn't care if it was like all of these cultural remnants were coming from a certain place, as long as it was like an exciting experience that felt exotic to them, I guess. Yeah. I also do think it's... um. Wait, when was Hawaii annexed? I guess. Oh, wait, I have that written down somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> or it became a state in like the, the 50s, right? Yeah, but it was annexed like way before in, that. Yeah, like um, right before um, 1898. Yeah. yeah. But so, Hawaii's statehood, I do think like, oh yeah, it was 1959. That's like a little bit later, but mm. as like a an end to the 1950s, which were this like very, you know, economic high point for the u.s and like post-war flourishing i don't know imagine how cool it would uh, obviously there are like some problematic things about hawaii becoming a state and its annexation like not good at all but like imagine being 49 states and then just becoming 50 and like the last one is like a vacation destination that everyone becomes obsessed with like something Mm -hmm. to that 
does seem to have this like completeness or just like I can just imagine the the escapism qualities that that had yeah and tiki was something that was like sold to middle americans and like californians and people obsessed with like hollywood pastiche Mm -hmm. um but i think it's unique that it has like a self-awareness about its like lack of fidelity that's something that i was because my dad is um uh, he's actually he is a beachcomber like for sure like he is a surfer um and he's also like he spent his youth in the mid-century and i was asking him about tiki and he mentioned trader Vicks, and he said that it was always like too expensive for him to go eat there it was like a very fancy restaurant that was like in hotels and stuff and like it was like a chain at some point and like he always like peeked his head in but was never able to like afford to go there because he was like a younger college student and stuff so it is something that like was sold to like middle class to upper class like americans sort of like escapist fantasy or whatever and like yeah i didn't realize because to to me well that's another thing too is when i went to the tiki bar i was i was it was felt like a rainforest cafe like it was very campy ridiculous like they had sound effects and all the waiters had to say certain things to you. They had smoke machines everywhere, but it was expensive and like really fancy and high end. So it's like really interesting that like there's, cause we, we tend to associate like this level of like camp and like fantasy creation, kind of like Disney-esque type thing with kind of trashy vibes, you know? Cause it's like when you go to like a, a theme park or something, it's always dirty and it smells weird. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, like, like, you know, I think Tiki is a very elevated adult theme park type thing. You know what I mean? A tiki bar. Yeah. Yeah. I think educated people would stray away from it now just because of all of the like negative associations it has with colonialism and like cultural appropriation. But I am not a Polynesian person, but as someone from the Caribbean, I will say that I advocate for island vibes wherever I can find them. Yeah. Also like, (laughs) It's interesting because, so yeah, I did both Trader Vic's and Don the Beachcomber, which were the two original tiki restaurants, did become chains. And at a point, there were 25 Trader Vic's in the world by the 1960s and 16 Don the Beachcombers, which is actually a lot. Mm -hmm. And then also, it's interesting because there's this interesting tension between the fact that like your dad couldn't like afford to eat there and also because he was like a surfer and also the fact that um, like rum was specifically the primary alcohol in tiki because it was really cheap due mm-hmm. to like s- slave labor, historic use of slave labor in sugarcane farms in the Caribbean. So true. it's like, it does all come back to it being like a great depression yeah. coming out of mm-hmm. prohibition and being invented by this guy who was like a rum runner smuggling rum into the U.S., yeah, if we were like a video essay, like clickbait channel, we would definitely call this the dark side of Tiki because there is a lot of like, dark <laughs> darkness to it. Definitely. Is, yeah. And even um, in the Tiki book that you sent, Alexi, Tiki Pop. Yeah, Tiki Pop by Sven A. Kirsten. Sven Kirsten is like the CEO of like Tiki Studies in my mind. <laughs> We've done, my publishing company Tash has done a couple of books with them. There's Tiki Modern, which is really interesting. It has like this connection between... Um, tiki and like polynesian interests versus like mid-century modern how they're kind of two sides of the same coin but tiki pop is a great uh i don't know like essentially textbook for anyone who's interested in buying books from my company yeah um there's a definitely a dark side to this because it you know there's like this like exoticism fetishization very fucked up or messed up ads um for like 
movies and um, different like products and commodities and books from like the 40s and 50s were pictured here. But they really do talk extensively about like how its origins came about in Western culture. And I think it is really funny because I, in Western culture, we really have so many like eras of art where we sort of reject modern society, conceive of civilization as this corrupting force and want to return to the purity of nature, right? Which I think is like an idea that defines our society really strongly today, right? I think especially like in the younger people today, I always hear, you know, no, I just like want to like sell all my things and like go to a farm and like live off the land because of climate change, because of societal oppression, that sort of thing. Like I think there's a lot of like pessimism towards civilization. But to that, I also say, I'm just kind of like, of course, like, these writers who are going to Polynesia were rejecting civilization because it's like you're literally like on a beach vacation. Like, of course, it's going to be awesome. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of like complexity that you're not seeing here. And it it really is like the, the tiki conception and it's like romanticization just came from like people going on vacation before the idea of vacation meant what it was, I think, you yeah. know, like that's a really interesting point because i do think this like antagonism towards civilization now has become so politically loaded because there's the whole like you know trad wife homesteading fantasy that's always associated with conservatives um but also now we can't even like export that escapist fantasy without being like too much of a colonizer i would like to see i don't know i guess i have seen some kind of like mood boardy like tiktok content of like immigrants romanticizing like going back to where they came from and being like oh like i just want to move back to vietnam or like i personally i don't know i have thought about moving back to trinidad but this like repatriation of like reject modernity embrace tradition i do see it like taking shape in some interesting ways among gen z i do think like uh, it's just like so much more complicated to reject like your like as like if you like immigrate somewhere and like want to go back to where you came from or whatever that's like so complicated and there's like a reason why you were here and like there's downfalls to society and stuff, but that's like such a complicated thing. I think people instinctively know, like I'm in for a lot more trouble just trying to like readjust into this like new society. So I might as well just create this like fantasy and like go there on vacation and like maintain that like beautiful oasis that I can like return to in my head at any point. But like, Oh yeah, no, that's also like reminds me a lot of like, um, cause I grew up, a lot, my dad was such a surfer and like even when we lived in Mexico like we always had to live around beaches I grew up in Corpus Christi which is like a beach town and like I thought like always like the expat beachcomber vibe was always super interesting in Mexico like the expat guys that like go and live off of social security in like a little beach town that's like such a thing in Mexico and like yeah well, even like I've even got like uber drivers that are like I come back to the states for like a month to like make money on uber and I just like go back to Mexico and like live it's on the so beach fucking and, like, crazy. that is like the modern beachcomber I am yeah I, I mm-hmm. think I do want to talk about the like gendered fantasy because you talked about like these fucked up ads that you see surrounding mm-hmm. like tiki movies and like tiki bars and the prototypical image is just like you know guy in a captain's hat on the beach in like linens and he's smoking a pipe and he's like kind of wasted and there are all of these like cute brown girls with like crazy waist hip ratios walking around scantily clad mm-hmm. and it's like the noble savage idea it's like this very fetishistic conception of native people quote unquote 
Um, but that's why I think I need to decolonize TV and become like, I don't know, like the girl that's lounging around and then like all the beachcombers were like around me. I think that would be empowering. <laughs> I mean, I think it's just TV is a really like deeply American creation. You know what I mean? And like, um, like it has like its downfalls historically and stuff. But at the end of the day, like, who doesn't live on my time? No, no. Is that, like, no, 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 I actually, okay, in that New York Times article, someone said that exactly. They said, I actually want to read the quote because it's actually insane how similar what you just said was to what they said. Mm-hmm. One second, I need to read this because it's, like, almost identical. Um, One sec. Yeah. This this there's a quote from this man named Kelvin or this person this person? I don't know. This person called Kelvin Ufre, who's a Bronx raised Dominican born spirit specialist and educator, who said to go into a bar and see mostly white guys in Hawaiian shirts presenting this fetishization of culture when the people of that country can't even escape what's happening to them. That's dark, he said. But he added, I just had a Mai Tai last night. And that's a good drink. <laughs> so that's so funny. Okay, so I once again I'm gonna refer to this New York Times piece, but it seems like a lot of bartenders who maybe are looking at it from like like recognizing the colonial like influence class. on this, yeah. they're like they're like okay, the colonial beliefs that underpin tiki are powerful, but then they'll always say like okay, the drinks are actually really complicated and really good. So it seems like there's a lot of movement for people to kind of like. uh respect the drinks or something yeah they're literally like the peak of craftsmanship mm-hmm. despite like where they yes. came from um yeah I, wait now that you've mentioned hawaiian shirts we can talk fashion a little bit as we as we do sometimes mm-hmm. and do you guys think that tiki sleeves is real or is it something that i made up no my boyfriend is tiki sleeves, tiki sleeves yeah. is real Tiki sleeves is the same thing as when just there's a phase when Justin Bieber wore a ton of like Hawaiian shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I also think of like I feel like Brad Pitt had an era that was like that. Like mm-hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio in the Baz Luhrmann, like Romeo and Juliet was kind of tiki yeah. sleeves. No, and then also Ace Ventura. Like that's actually a thing in in male fashion, like internet. Like I see memes about this like sleeves core, and it's just like people call it sleeves core, and they wear Hawaiian shirts and they smoke cigarettes, and it's like a Miami Vice aesthetic or whatever. Yeah, and then also Miami like Vice. like a few like this was really trending in 2018. I should have linked this, but GQ was like really covering this shit like crazy because Gucci did a menswear. Thing where they like for like two years like 2017 2018 where they were just like like everything was just a hawaiian shirt hawaiian shirt after like after another and like if you go to like on essence and the menswear it's all hawaiian shirts i think every man has like a staple hawaiian shirt in their closet um and they're just so it's so male to just like not want to like change the form of something you already own but just like throw a print on it mm-hmm. and be like this is fashion it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's literally throw a bird on it throw a, bird <laughs> throw, on throw it. a tiki on it no, but I okay. So this what we're talking about was labeled Scumbro, and it's like Pete Davidson, yeah, Justin Bieber in the 2010s. And I looked it up, and on Google Images, the photo of Justin Bieber is him wearing like this very bold Hawaiian shirt with like raggedy denim shorts. Yeah, so I guess I don't know. Like, the, someone needs to combine that with like the nautical prep and do like a modernized beachcomber thing. I'm just thinking like boat shoes. I with, feel like it's hard though because I feel like the Hawaiian shirt, the reason these guys wear it is because it really got associated with middle America the same way that mm-hmm. tiki bars ended up getting associated with that in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, okay, so I'm gonna guess that the Hawaiian shirt revival happened 
Did Kurt Cobain have? Well, no, it must have happened in the nineties mm-hmm. with, with Bass yeah, Simons, yeah, yeah. Romeo and Juliet, which is when also the Tiki revival happened. Yeah, we can talk about that. Um, so she, yeah. and rockabillies and like the connection. Yeah, yeah. should yeah. we talk about like alt Tiki? Alt Tiki. Like, yeah. Guys, I want to set this the scene because I was really interested in if if there was a fifties revival in the nineties because it's just something I hadn't really looked into that much before, but. I found this really interesting uh, article from 1995 on a, in a newspaper from Spokane, Washington, which seems very scumbro to me. Mm-hmm. Spokane, Washington? Mm. Okay, so it basically said a lot of culture from the 1950s was trending in, in the mid-90s. Um, this is a really crazy, crazy, crazy quote. It may seem like a parallel universe, but the look and tone in America in the 90s is increasingly early reminiscent of the 1950s and early 1960s. This is the crazy part. It is a time fondly re- recalled by many Americans as the nation's last golden era, a prosperous, wholesome, respectful, upwardly mobile time, powered by values as simple as black and white. From the images on its TV screens to the signs on segregated bathrooms. I was like, damn, that is a crazy quote. But I think there was that... Um, yeah, like the, the emergence of hipster culture in the late 90s where people were looking back at like uh, Americana, basically. Yeah, right? that's, so, that's so funny because I really think of the 90s as like a period that was all about subversion, but it was like counterculture. It was counterculture in Me a different too. way than the 60s. Like it was very kind of nihilistic. Well, I think was a, whenever I think of like 50s influence on the 90s, I think speaking of Washington, like like riot girl movements and stuff like that where it's like that was like very much an aesthetic of like there's a lot of riot girl bands that would like ironically adopt like 50s aesthetics as like a weird protest to like the housewife thing and like i think a lot of people like and they even like um like beastie boys a lot of their lyrics were very like critical of like the nuclear family it was always like fuck you dad like my 1950s dad like you're so you know what i mean that was like very gen (laughs) x like gen x is very rejecting like boomer values um and like There's something about 50s masculinity though like james dean marlon brando like that kind of masculinity feels like it has a place in the 90s as well yeah like it's just like what guys will always think is cool for some yes, reason just, we guys we're having a breakthrough which is like literally mm-hmm. buddy holly came <gasps> out in 1994 yeah. by weezer that was a year a year before this article i'm reading came out and like Buddy Holly is obviously about yes. the masculinity of the 50s, right? Well, because that was a thing, too, is, like, the Buddy Holly glasses, yeah. remember? Everyone used to have those. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. This is, like, I want to teach a college class on this shit. I'm watching the Buddy Holly video right now to see if there's any essence of Tiki in it. It was also... Huh. By that Jim. is cool. Um, what was I going to say about... Oh, alt-Tiki. This is kind of a thing where, like, and this goes back into my theories of alcoholism that a lot of people that were like formerly hardcore punk or like crust punk will like age into being like tiki heads and kind of like a rockabilly way. And it's always kind of confused me, but if you reframe it as like a purely drinking culture and like habit forming thing, um, I don't know, like crust punks drink like beer and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like beer, I've never been into it, but I do feel like it, presupposes like a certain violent way of acting or just like when you drink beer like i don't know you can drink beer in like a refreshing like kicking back in the sun way but i just associate it with like aggression and masculinity for whatever reason 
But the thing about tiki drinks that has like been my main revelation this summer is that first of all, you can't drink too many of them because they have so many ingredients mm-hmm. and they're like frozen. Like first of all, you get a brain freeze if you drink it too quickly. Second of all, they're like really loaded with like sugar and fruit. So you have to like literally slow down your pace, like become island time. And like, what if you drink too much tiki drink, (laughs) you just kind of want to like go to sleep in a hammock, you know, like Mm -hmm. you just become so like serene and like placated. So I think maybe that has to do with why like all people get into it because it's good for like growing up. It's also like it's overproof rum for most of these drinks, which is like crazy. Like they had a at the tea bar I went to, they had a cutoff of three drinks. Like that was a cutoff yeah, for the bar. Like for the, for the youths, overproof means that it's more than um fifty percent alcohol, right? Um, no, I think it's um because a hundred proof means fifty percent, right? Uh, There's some kind of weird math thing. Yeah, I think uh, it's more than fifty percent. Or would that be fucked up? I think that is kind of fucked up, but it might be that fucked up. No, yeah, over yeah. 57% I, is what it is. Over 57%, damn. yeah. That is crazy. That goes so hard. That, it still has, like, a prohibition flavor to it, where it's mm-hmm. just, like, you need to, like, drink this, like, bootleg, so prohibition like, dark web kind of overproof <laughs> 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 rum. Is that even legal? Yeah, like, that's no, that's, that's what I was thinking, too, because I was thinking, like, the 1920s, I think the drink of the 20s was, like, uh martini or at least in like the great gatsby which yes. is also mm. super super strong i feel mm-hmm. and still has that yeah it is like the it's like dark For, web, forbidden like. substance yeah yeah definitely and also one of the drinks that don created he created a lot of the classic tiki drinks we know today is called the zombie Ooh. which was popularized at the 1939 new york world fair which was um kind of like polynesian themed and the main feature of the fair was this pageant of the pacific so yeah, that, it was it was a big moment for I guess this American awareness of Polynesia and uh, nations bordering the Pacific Ocean. But this this drink is so strong that still to this day, Don the Beachcomber limits customers to two of them because the, it's called the zombie because they were like if you drink too much, yeah. Become, like, but see that, dead, that like basically. proves my point that you just become kind of like sleepy mode mm-hmm. or just like you become so relaxed. Like there's no way to drink tiki drinks and like you're not going to try to call your ex you're not going to like start crying you're not Mm going to get in a fight with someone and you are right because it from that documentary i watched a lot of the alt tiki people were former hardcore and punk guys and there's even one guy they interviewed who used to be like a nazi punk and then he just became like super into tiki and it's like clearly like these people had like aggressive problems in their life you know and they all got really into tiki it's almost like whenever you meet someone that like has anger issues and they get really into yoga and like they just like need this like hyper peaceful thing in their life to like yeah. kind of like I don't know balance the Wait, anger. I'm, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up because it also does seem like if you like go through a really hard time like you can find solace and escapism in like a geographic sense because yoga is like obviously an Eastern spirituality thing. Yeah. Tiki is this like South Seas thing, and I wanted to talk about. Um, Biz, you mentioned this in your writings in this document about, um, yeah, the Pacific Theater in World War II and South Pacific, the musical in 1949 that was really popular. And then the show at MoMA that was like a big South Seas show in 1945. But did you guys know about um, Michael C. Rockefeller and like his tragic, I don't want to say it's a tiki tale, but... It kind of is. Tell us the story. I'll, I'll tell, tell you the tale. tale. I wish we could have some kind of like ukulele like intro into it. 
the Michael C. Rockefeller wing at the Met is like all of this oceanic art that um, Nelson Rock- Rockefeller's son Michael collected on his like journeys. Like he was real a beachcomber. But I do feel like something happened in the mid-century where it became very like cool for like rich people to get into non-Western art, like African art and like collecting like Pacific art. Um, so the Rockefeller wing as a whole is like all of this like non-Western art, but the Michael C. Rockefeller wing is oceanic art and it's really fun there. And it's like an architecturally cool part of the Met. But Michael C. Rockefeller was on a trip to New Guinea on like an expedition and he literally disappeared. I do. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And like it was never, his body was never found, but it was Uh, like presumed that he was just like in a canoe or something and it flipped over and like people said they saw him swimming. Yeah. There's a huge like lore around that. People say Mm -hmm. he was eaten by a cannibalistic tribe. Yeah. That's true. There were a lot of like jokes about it in like the National Lampoon or something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) In the 60s. No. Yeah. This guy gives, he's got Buddy Holly glasses on. Yeah. But he's like a rich beachcomber. Like I love the idea of like a trustafarian beachcomber who is like rejecting his like super rich parents by becoming like an explorer, but not mm-hmm. but in like a very respectful way, you know, where he like genuinely is. I don't know. It's people don't really think of Tiki as an alternative to it's not like getting into yoga or like getting super into like Native American stuff, but I don't know if you insist on like cultural appropriating to like escape or like piss off your parents. I do think Tiki is a good avenue should i suggest that <laughs> i mean i think it's fine because like um you should definitely you can move anywhere you want and if you're trying to adopt that culture like if you move somewhere you should definitely try to like respect the culture to which you're moving i don't know yeah respect it so much that you get killed by a child yeah well, i mean that's that's crazy but you know of me he rest in peace but like um that's the two archetypes in tiki right for men and masculinity is is the beachcomber and the trader and that's like the trader mix thing where it was like the trader is this like it's like this archetype of a man in like the like I don't know 19th century who's like trading goods with like island people or whatever, and then he just becomes so entranced by the lifestyle that he leaves all of his like tra- the trappings of modern society and his wealth and like from trading, and becomes like integrates into the into the culture. And there's also like Robert Louis Stevenson, who's a romantic writer. He wrote Doctor Jekyll, Jekyll and Mister Hyde. He had a great quote about Polynesia because he also wrote a book about Polynesia. He said, it is perhaps a more fortunate destiny to have a taste for collecting shells and to be born a millionaire. And he like wrote this in his like Polynesian books, right? It's just like a lot of people. And also Herman Melville would go to Polynesia because he like hated like banks and stuff. So it was like very much like people who hate the economy and like modern economics and Western society tend to find a lot of solace like within Polynesia, at least in the 20th century. Yeah, it does seem like once again, coming back to the idea of the female archetype in Polynesia when you're talking mm-hmm. about that and writers and artists loving it. It made yeah. me think of Paul Galgan. Um because he like famously had like Polynesian child brides when he moved there towards the end of his life. Yeah. This is also like the whole um, thing of like modernist artists being like influenced by quote unquote primitivism mm-hmm. and just like coming up with all of these formal mm-hmm. inventions because they saw like African sculptures or just like cave paintings and stuff like that Mm -hmm. i really like that quote sam it reminds me of one of my favorite books distinction by pierre bourdieu but he like talks about how there are certain eras where like collecting not like knickknacks but like collecting things from your travels became the most like heightened form of i don't know signaling that you were like a person of taste because it isn't like stuff that you can just buy anywhere Mm -hmm. it's just like 
things that you have to truly earn. And I love seeing that in restaurants. We were talking about this with Cracker Barrel recently, which like obviously it's like a fake version, but tiki interiors are so beautiful because I'll have like a like puffer fish and then like a fake boat like on the wall. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like restaurants are so minimalist now that it creeps me out. I think that I have a really good eating experience when I see a lot of like clutter <laughs> on the walls, no, you know. Yeah. No, that um that's the thing is there's so many things that you could see in your restaurant, like within Tiki. You could do like the haunted tiki bar, like Scooby Doo's haunt, mm-hmm. like you know what I mean? Like haunted tiki bar, then you could do kind of like, oh, like the I don't know. The pirate version. Yeah, like you could just do so many different like aspects of it. And I think that's also like SpongeBob's appeal is like there are so many different like like backgrounds within Tiki that you can make things really like pop out and be really funny within. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Wait, can we talk? I feel like there were a lot of tiki influences around our childhood. First of mm-hmm. all, SpongeBob was majorly like mid-century tiki, mm-hmm. in that it seemed to have been a commentary on like suburban life. Yeah, do you remember? But also, yeah, SpongeBob's house had like tiki wallpaper, and it, he did live in a pineapple after all. Yeah, under the sea as well. This reminds me of your your stone your stone report. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, okay. My stone report is like like the deepest bowels of my brain i exercised something related to the kardashian empire in spongebob which is that so kim kardashian launched a skincare brand in the last couple of months called skin and it's really creative directed by kanye so it has a lot of this like minimalist stone uh as the main branding but like the font of it is literally the font from spongebob i did a comparative analysis <laughs> using a, a website generator and it's literally the same font mm-hmm. and like it looks like squidward's house yeah um squidward also went to tiki land and that was like a tiktok trend mm-hmm. of like people like dancing to squidward's tiki land squidward's theme song tiki land. also squidward was almost like throughout the whole show <laughs> yeah. longing for like white picket fence like nuclear family lifestyle remember when he went to like that squid like commune like gated community and he he was like it was like canned bread and everyone was just doing like exercises in the morning and stuff like it seems like he He does seem like a bit of a beach comer like his like love for jazz Mm. he seemed like he would have been a real like he's kind of a beatnik i think he's supposed to be like a elitist beatnik type yeah he's definitely a beatnik yeah yeah also speaking of media that like speaking of contemporary media that seems related the mm-hmm. Elvis oh, movie with Austin Butler. Um, I think a lot of people associate Elvis with this mid-century interest in Hawaii because Elvis was in Hawaii a lot at towards the end of his life. Yeah, Blue Hawaii was Blue Hawaii was a movie that was filmed there, and also the song. Um, what is the song? It's like is it mm-hmm. can't help falling in love with you. Yeah, mm-hmm. wait, what is that? Is that what the name of the song is? Okay, yeah, yeah. So basically, Elvis, um, one of his most famous songs ever came out of a movie that's set in Hawaii. Yeah. It's really sad because Elvis, like, always dreamed of going abroad, but um, Colonel Tom Parker wouldn't let him. So Hawaii was, like, their compromise because it was, like, still the U.S. But, yeah, yeah, I love Elvis Tiki. Um, Also, I think the movie Finding Nemo has Tiki Mm -hmm. undertones as well because it's, like, in Oceania. Yeah. I guess but it's that part where i don't know i feel like they have like a tiki head in like the fish tank in the doctor's office and they do some kind of like ritual where they're chanting wait don't they 
literally shark bait. Ooh, ha, yeah. Ha, yeah. What is the ritual? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 People are going to get mad if we don't mention coconut girl. I think this is actually true. Yeah. yeah. Cause I think it's definitely related, you know, but it's also like, I feel like just also we should mention Margaritaville where there's like different vibes, but they're somewhat. Yeah. Like, there's like Florida tiki Loki. Yeah. And that I feel like they are tiki, but they're just like tiki offshoots. Like, Cause there, I feel like coconut girl is a little more. It's a little more the like color palette is different. Girl. Yeah, yeah, it's like more. And it's like dolphin and mm-hmm. hibiscus. Yeah, which is like Roxy. Yeah, like it's stuff that you would wear visiting a tiki location, but it's more like I do um, think like surfer stuff isn't really tiki. Like I don't mm-hmm. think tiki people like were they really into surfing? Like surfing seems a little too athletic. That's the thing too, is because Tiki started falling off in the seventies and that's when surfing really started to take off. And that's like, you know, like, cause like Vietnam or whatever, like Charlie don't surf, mm-hmm. like people were really into surfing then, but also people, when, apparently what I, what I read was that Tiki started falling off in the seventies after people started coming back from the Vietnam war. And they just like had all these like they PTSD like mm-hmm. negative associations with like tropical jungle like foreign like they just like no like they were like they oh were just, yeah like, they became kind of xenophobic yeah they didn't like like they it was just God, very like we were so triggered after that. yeah no it was very like I think a lot of people were very just traumatized generally by by any type of like exotic vibe and they just didn't wait like, I think it was I think it was not I think it was the overall protest against yeah people the had a new social not. awareness so people were like seeing asian people yeah see people were seeing asian people's actual uh culture versus like there's like exotic faraway land i think versus when people came back from world war ii they had just been exposed to asia for the first time and were like coming back on a high note yeah. versus vietnam was like entirely a low note i guess yeah it just it wasn't victory i the foreword of tiki pop um the book says after its sudden collapse in the midst of the anti-vietnam war movement and the much more radical eroticization of the 1960s generation, the public quickly disinherited tiki styles, politically incorrect and in bad taste. Wow, that's like, Period. I like read something else yeah. on it, but that sounds, that tricks out as well. I like read something, and yeah. it was also like that people thought tiki was like square because their parents were into tiki. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure there were a lot of like tiki themed like barbecues with like lays and pineapple pork yeah. i could just see that being a really f- like if i were yeah. a 1950s hostess spam and pineapple that yeah. was like a fun theme yeah. i also read that with the rise of this is a quote but with the rise of labor-saving artificial ingredients like sour mix and bottled syrups tiki drinks severely declined in quality Wait, and the entire so genre nearly disappeared mm-hmm. so it was when this like mass production of artificial cocktail mixes and like you said kind of yeah like yeah that really did contribute to the decline in quality and it stopped being this like rarefied highly intentional craft yeah the margaritaville thing seems so 80s it's that well that that was like jimmy buffett right yeah jimmy buffett and in his genre that he created was gulf western just funny because it's very like uh, that's very i don't know how to explain that vibe it's very much like the gulf coast florida and i also think like like Galveston, like that type of thing, where it is very like people who so should corny be, to me. It's very corny, but I, I, you know, I feel like everyone wants to go to Margaritaville for some reason. Like I would definitely yeah. go to Margaritaville right now, like right, right now. Um, I don't know. Like, <laughs> There's one in Times Square. It's actually pretty really fun. I really want to go. I went there like wanting tiki vibes, but honestly, like. Yeah, margaritas are like a post-industrial kind of like, it, there's like margarita mix, you know, like you can put an umbrella in it, but it just doesn't have the 
the complexity of a tiki drink. I think it's more like if you're near a border and all, it has like some weird like Tex-Mex quality to it to me. And like, yeah, that's where the exoticism comes from. Yeah, it's like um, the Mexican border. And like the parrot. Yeah. It's, yeah. No, that's very, I mean, there's always, yeah, Mexican beaches, there's always someone walking around with a parrot, like, and they want you to take a picture <laughs> with them. Like, I was wondering, Jimmy Buffett and Margaritaville became like a domesticized version of tiki bars. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess people weren't really like traveling that much onward. around then, right? Like the 70s were low key, like a recessive time in the American economy. Mm-hmm. I think that's why Margaritaville yeah. also has kind of like Myrtle Beach vibes. I'm sure you would agree, mm-hmm. Biz. Like just that kind of like domestic beachiness. I that's so. It, it literally has like no visuals to it besides just like flip flops. Like mm-hmm. there, because there's no like scenery truly. It literally is just like you're looking at the ocean. I mean, it's definitely, it. I feel like it's, def- it's like a type of architecture almost. You know what I mean? Like Margaritaville is definitely a type of architecture. Like wood. That's like the white, um, white wood. Yeah, yeah, white wood or pastel wood. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was, I was going to say that Margaritaville is like mm-hmm. pastel and Tiki is like the opposite of pastel. Yeah. Tiki, Tiki does have like a, besides the historical darkness, it does have like a gravitas to it, I would say. Yeah. Because of, should we talk about like what like Tiki's actually are? In Maori mythology, Tiki is the first man ever created. By extension, a Tiki is a large or small, usually wooden carving in a humanoid form. And so they, those are important in Maori mythology and um, other Polynesian cultures as well. But then they became very commercialized within uh, American tiki culture, and they most significantly, I think, became <laughs> yeah. mugs. Yeah, we, like I tiki have, yeah. mugs. I have a little tiki mug. Right? There's bamboo in it. Um, I'll say, wait, there's a, an interesting part in Tiki Pop that's about this. Um, so Polynesians worship their ancestors as gods, sculpting them into idols of wood and stone. So in some of their myths, a demigod named Tiki appeared comparable to the Bible's Adam. So it was like a half mortal, half deity said to be the first man. And he possessed human faults and a sense of humor. But in American pop culture, Tiki's meaning was somewhat simplified. American Tiki restaurants preached Tiki's powers in a more Bacchus-like fashion, associating him with good food and good luck, which conveniently paralleled the services they provided to the American public. So they saw customers saw the tiki as a symbol of the pagan pleasures disapproved of by post-war America. Here, dining among idols, they indulge in potent potions and finger food, forgetting their work world outside. You know what I find really interesting about that too is like it is beautiful, beautiful. No, it's really good. Um, but what I find really interesting and ironic about that too is like how close, like the mar- like how close the mark was, and how much we missed it in terms of like Westerners and like their conception <laughs> of like Polynesia, because it's like the earliest people that went to Polynesia, they were like, this is like Eden, like in the Bible, Eden. And like Tiki is like literally an origin story and like, like our gen- yeah, it's like It also like- has to do with like ancestors and like genealogy, which is something that I feel like Americans don't have like a great grasp on. Yeah, no, it's true. And there is like, it, it depends on which cultures, right? Where it's like, there's, there's different conceptions of Tiki and different cultures where in some cultures it's just ancestors and some cultures it's more gods, but like, I think it's really funny that like it turned into like this Bacchus like figure, right? And it's like ironic mm-hmm. in terms of like Genesis and like the fall of man and how like this is also supposed- you know what I mean? It's just like super ironic. <laughs> it's literally to- everything to me. Yeah. Oh my god. It is like it is everything about humanity. Oh my god. Also, 
It literally emerged mm-hmm. out of the dust of the Great like a, Depression. Like a tiki like, from the ashes. Yeah. You know, Adam, wasn't the world made from dust? Yeah. No, it's very, like, very origin. But I think it's also funny that you wrote here that that tiki also means unsuccessful, which I think is really funny given, like, um, beachcombers and, like, the slacker beach guy vibes, like, expat, like, just going to live off mm-hmm. social security and, like, a little shack on the side of, like, a Mexican beach, you know, like. Wait. Yes. What is the name of the guy? We can add this out, but the name of the guy who like is really credited with the arrival. <laughs> it's literally like Jimmy the Beach Bomb. Like he literally goes by like It's not Don the Beach Bomber. No, it's like it's like, like, it's, it's like the nineties version of that. Um, no, no, no. He actually has a really interesting story. Yeah, all of these guys were very like mythological. Like we really don't make adventurers like we used to. Mm-hmm. Also, the first beachcomber was um, Robinson Crusoe. Yes. That was the first beachcomber, according to, like, a lot of stuff. So it is just, like, there is so much, like, weird adventure mythology. Con Robinson Tiki, Crusoe. We that, the, which is a crazy. Wait, actually, no. Keep going. I'm pretty sure Robinson Crusoe was filmed in Trinidad, the movie. Wait, no, that's Swiss Family. Oh, really? That's a completely different thing. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I haven't seen the movie. (laughs) Guys, 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 we were right. Okay, so SpongeBob heavily relies on tiki art. And also, it takes place in Bikini Bottom, which we know, which is a fictional town named for a bikini atoll in the Marshall Ah. Islands of Micronesia. But, see, see, once again, coming back to this, like, global tension, in 1946, this (gasps) island's inhabitants were forced out of their home in order to make way for 23 U.S. nuclear bomb tests. This is like, yeah, this is like a dark side of Spongebob thing that I remember watching in a YouTube video when I was like 12. Is that like, it's based on like the (laughs) nuclear, I don't know, the radioactive like sponges that showed up in Bikini. That (laughs) makes a lot of sense. uh, Yeah, they became um, sentient because of the like nuclear tests that were done there. Yes. Oh, and you know what else is like the creators of SpongeBob are also very like yeah they are they're raunchy you know like that show Mr. Show it was supposed to be an adult show at first yeah and like that show Mr. Show the SpongeBob guy voice (gasps) has Buddy Holly glasses on yeah so it's like very they're in the culture in the in the nineties TV culture it's literally everything to me oh my god (laughs) guys also we were right so there's a lot of Maori religious influences in SpongeBob the biggest one being that. Squidward's dwelling, his house actually resemble a religious tiki head, but then but then Stephen Hillenberg decided to refer to it as yeah. an Easter Island head despite the design differences. So yeah, it's a big, big influence. All right, what else? This is just the most interesting topic. Oh wait, oh wait, I found I found who it was. Okay, so the guy who is credited credited with reviving Tiki and the 1990s. His name is Jeff Beachbomb Berry. He's a mixologist and restaurant owner, and he reconstructed a lot of lost recipes. See, that's so mythological in itself. It's like, did he get it from a scroll from a chest? Like, it is. That's what I was about to mention. No, the story as to the recovery of the Don Beachcomber recipes is crazy because it's like Tiki fell off like in a major way. All of these tiki bars closed down. Don the Beachcomber shut down in LA. And then like in the nineties, everyone was like, wait, what happened to these drinks? What happened to these recipes? And they literally like, they were all gone except one bartender from Don the Beachcomber. One of the original bartenders was still alive and like, so super, super old. And like some guy just like found him and was like, please tell me like the original recipes. And like this old, old man, like gave him like the secret recipes. And, but like half of them are still disappeared. 
Like ha- ha- we still don't know half of the Don the Beachcomber recipes, but this one old man that some guy tracked down, like gave them the recipes. And so that's like all of these, like Cobra Kai, yeah. all of those like different drinks. They just come from this old man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so insane that there are these drinks were so intricate that Don the Beachcomber literally wouldn't mm-hmm. like share his recipe because he didn't want it to get stolen. And then these guys had to re- like rediscover and reverse engineer the original drinks. Uh, it says that he searched out old bar legendaries, like you said, and persuaded them to share the secret recipes with him. Also, he wrote the <gasps> book on actual drinks wow. and the, the the book of Tiki. Um, and he something I really like that makes me think he's a good guy is that him and his wife opened up a Tiki bar in New Orleans, which is kind of like an homage to uh, Don the Beachcomber, who's Hmm. familial like roots are in new orleans so obviously it's a good place hmm. to open up a tiki bar because there's so much drinking there but to... also he spent a year and a half wow. researching how to make the perfect daiquiri yeah we need to go there guys we need to take a field trip there yeah oh, he seems okay. so cool he described himself as a professional bum. <laughs> okay cute yeah if you insist on being a bum at least you know how to make a drink damn exactly oh my god no that's what i actually like i really respect the like weird Cause that's the thing too, is, is like, I love talking to this bartender. It was just like, so weird. Like he was so chilled out. We went kind of dressed a little tiki. I feel like bartenders should be wise. It's like the like fucking guy from the shining, like bartenders these days, I guess maybe they're just kind of busy and like depressed more, but I do feel like they should be mm-hmm. like, they should be able to give you ancient wisdom or mm-hmm. some kind of video game esque key to mm-hmm. like a problem that you're trying to solve. Yeah, no, that was very going to seek answers from this bartender at this tiki bar and i went to like the haunted tiki bar place it felt literally like a crazy excursion it felt like an adventure like i was literally robinson crusoe like going to find the answers to why people love tiki and like now i love tiki <laughs> like this is the thing is, is like i feel i feel like if you had asked me like a year ago about tiki i would have thought it was like a little cringe but not like i would have not really thought about it or something but like the more i learn about it the more i'm like yo this stuff actually kind of pops off like I don't know. You see the vibes of just the drinks and like the weird, crazy lore surrounding it. It's just like really interesting to learn about, you know? Like there's a lot to be said about it. I don't know. And this is why we're doing an episode. Yeah, I know. We hope you guys are. (laughs) (laughs) It is like we said, going back to the beginning, not the beginning, but going back to what you said about Cracker Barrel, Lexi, it's like a tiki bar and restaurant is aesthetically and atmospherically the opposite of the um, yeah. kind of like millennial restaurant that has like white marble tables mm-hmm. and it's like the opposite of sweet green <laughs> it's the opposite of sweet green like yeah. everything takes a long time it's the opposite of fast casual it's like slow formal yeah amen amen normalized maximalist slow formal restaurant yeah amen Oh my god, I really uh yes, slow formal, more of that. Yeah, but also I feel like I'm I'm feeling optimistic because it does seem like young people love a theme. Yeah. Okay, so I have a theory. I have a theory, which is so I feel like you guys probably also were uh, somehow aware of this when it happened. But in the 2010s, there was this thing with like people in their early 20s being obsessed with like going to Applebee's and going to Chili's and being like I'm going to see Smash Mouth at Applebee's or something last night literally yeah yeah and I'm like this this feels like it's setting the stage for Margaritaville 
to Tiki mm-hmm. because that was such a big thing. Like having your birthday party at Applebee's in Times Square and like wearing a tiara. No, that was something I was talking about a lot last night where I was just kind of like thinking, well, it was also the, the thing about Tiki is it's a very adult aesthetic, even though it's so campy and ridiculous that it's like Rainforest Cafe, but like the drinks are really expensive because they have so many crazy ingredients in them. Like it's not just rum. Like it, it makes sense for them yeah. to be expensive. Yeah. It's not just like a yeah, crazy no, it's charge. Like, it's like time no, it's and like labor. labor. They, like all of the, I'm looking at the menu of this place I went to and each of them has like three or four different types of alcohol in them. So it's like all these expenses. It's not just even rum. It's like gin, rum, like liqueurs, like stuff I've never, I can't even pronounce, but like, I feel like it is just like maybe the millennials that went to Applebee's when they were younger should grow age into going to tiki bars for their birthday as adults you know agreed but but i feel like they're still going to like applebee's because they're like oh like it's like a dollar like remember when applebee's had like a dollar margaritas they still do like crazy strong like long island iced teas and stuff there was a new york times article about how millennials are into the like neighborhood like what is it called Mm. it's not like a mom and pop restaurant but it's like a step above diners like they're into these like spots that are really like kind of mid i think it's because millennials like tina's and bushwick yes kind of like that i think they're they're just like tired of um of like pretending to like things that are really mm. complex and it's like almost like the like transplants are accepting that they just want essentially like an applebee's mm-hmm. experience like they don't want to like eat like 20 different types of like raw fish they just want to eat like mm-hmm. fried food okay well the literally Tiki is perfect for that. I know. So I went on the I went on the New York Public Library menu archive <laughs> oh and found some menus. This is a this this is a really fun thing to do, by the way, guys. It's something I've done in my past, and I would recommend it to anyone because menus are beautiful and they have real them really well categorized. But like the food at Don the Beachcomber sounds so good. It's just like um and like spam, just like spam, and like yes and like, shrimp and is like, literally one of the best things ever yeah barbecued chicken yeah that would be on a poo-poo platter chicken chicken wings mm. this menu sounds so I'm good hungry. i'm so hungry i'm definitely gonna try to go to that tiki bar tonight i need to throw a tiki party yeah i've been i've been on like a tiki tour all summer of tiki bars in new york so um oh, I'm so jealous it's been good i need to do that as well and also we we met up at a fried chicken combination tiki mm-hmm. bar that honestly I will say that I'm really scared of fish, and there was like a fish yeah, Alexis like freaking out because this is something I learned about her when yeah. we were out. Is I she's really afraid of fish, and um, yeah. we saw we we saw that because it was tiki theme. They had a little fish tank, and we wanted to go sit down inside because it was really hot outside. And Alexi was <laughs> very yeah, was <laughs> Alexi was very brave. Though. She sat in front of the fish and made a very big effort to not look at it. Um, yeah, I I was uh-huh. facing away from it but we had a good like i don't know what drinks did we have i feel like i did have a mai tai or like no you had drink. a rum and coke i think or like so you had a you had a rum I, drink but we, oh. no we had we, no we did have some like yeah. frozen drinks what was it called yeah the commodore yeah their fried chicken their fried chicken was ass though so if you guys go there don't <laughs> order it oh my god i don't want to make an enemy out of it they had like a Make an enemy out of the Commodore. Commodore. They gave me free drinks, like, randomly. I wish I had an enemy named the Commodore. (laughs) No, I liked it there. I thought the fries were good. They had a, like, it was, like, it was a little bit Margaritaville. Like, on their website, there's a picture of a pelican standing on, like, a stick, and he's wearing a captain's hat and sunglasses. You know, like, that's kind of Jimmy Buffett-ified to me. 
Uh, yeah, I would say it's a bit more Jimmy Buffett, in my opinion. But honestly, you guys should mm-hmm. go there. It's in Brooklyn, and uh, there's fish. I think the fish are cool. It's when it's in Williamsburg, which is like a really um yeah cool spot. <laughs> you guys may not have really heard cool of. Spot, but also, I just thought this was interesting that so the the nineties Tiki was really dead, like at the beginning, and it was talking about what drinks came after, kind of like these elegant. Not okay. It's called not. I'm sorry. I cannot think. It's it. It's talking about like what drinks came after these intricate drinks, and it was like the apple teeny and the Cosmo, Ew. which to me those are like the mm-hmm. opposite of this because I feel like those are always made with like a very very simple. Um, They're made with like a red grocery store. Yeah, like yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, like some sort of weird syrup and like cranberry juice. Yeah. But then craft cocktails had a revolution in the 2000s. Yeah, I feel like we talked about this in Euro Summer, but I feel like right now the pinnacle of like sophisticated drinking is like a European Mm -hmm. vibe. Yeah, like right now the biggest, most trendy Um, drink is the uh, Aperol Spritz. Yeah. Aperol Spritz, Negroni, like that kind of, those like European special red Also, right right now, natural wine is really having like a renaissance. Everyone's like orange wine, like natural wine. That's like a really a a thing right now. yeah re- reject that and embrace tiki um i actually i actually think natural wine's about to go out of style because yeah, it's been so style too. for too many years I think so too. And, and it's just so like old school hipster just in the sense that it's like the more obscure mm-hmm. the better but sometimes you can i feel like it's more special to bring things together that might not be obscure but the combination mm-hmm. is unexpected also like you know what i mean it's like accessible but like oh it takes effort, which is what really matters. Also, Lexi, you were having a rum punch. I just like looked at the menu. I think that's what you were ordering. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's pretty basic, but it did seem like it had yeah. a lot. Yeah, no, they're good. Wait, should we? I do want to talk about Coconut Girl a little bit mm-hmm. more. Do you guys know the brand Jaded yes. Jaded London? No. Yes. They're super trendy, but they have this like set that I've been seeing on a lot of it girls. It's like, yeah, I guess there's like a surfer like roxy thing going on this summer i feel like i've been seeing girls wearing like board shorts and rash guards or just like bikini sets that are a little bit like a step above Mm -hmm. bikini but jaded london has this two-piece set that is blue and orange and it's like crocheted and has this like crochet hibiscus on one boob and on the shorts and it has tiki vibes to me Mm -hmm. personally um but coconut girl yeah it does have these like very juicy saturated colors hibiscus prints and two-piece sets but it all has the very micro trendy feel of 2020 mm-hmm. as well for me what it is is that okay so i personally think the coconut girl comes from like the 2000s mm-hmm. interest in surfing which was like blue crush and like britney spears were like yeah. Roxy for some reason. Yeah, it and like nine, nine, Roxy. Yeah, it was like LA, California type. Yeah. Thing. But for some reason, that's like very. I guess it feels more like a microchip because it is Y2K, but I feel like actual tiki clothing of the mid century, tiki cultural clothing, was like all about like uh, the hourglass body shape yes. mm-hmm. and accentuating that. Yeah, it is like the time that the bikini made its debut. Yeah, yeah no, it was very like um, curvy ladies. Yeah, like Alexi, you were saying how like low rise, like hula girls, you know. Yeah. All of the girls, I, I find it like the most beautiful mm-hmm. body type. It is somewhat body by spaghetti, like spaghetti yeah. red vibes. But um, I think in the 1950s, it was because the bikini had just been invented. 
women didn't have this insecurity yet about the bikini body. So they still had pretty like fleshy mm-hmm. midsections and thighs yeah. that hadn't been like worked on by like media and advertising. And I think it honestly looked so stunning. Yeah, it looks amazing. Yeah. And also like bandeau tops. So like, I don't know, like your boobs aren't like in like a push-up bra. It just is a very natural looking physique to me. No, it looks amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it feels like Coconut Girl, Margaritaville. Those are like domestic vacation vibes. Tiki is foreign vacation. Yes. I also feel like Coconut Girl, if it's going on a foreign vacation, it's going to go to Europe because of Mamma Mia. You know? They used to, they also called Coconut Girl Key West Kitten. Oh, that's do right. That? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do. That was so random. Key West Kitten is cute, though. I, Key West does have a special vibe where it's, it's not like Hawaii, but it is like an archipelago and it's like, kind of far out it's like in the far corners of america you know with like florida being like this weird peninsula and key west being this like little droppling of yeah they made it into like a subset of coquette aesthetics yeah, i feel florida like um, but also they would always use like florida project stills as um, well yeah mm-hmm. but florida project was endemic this is all just a, such a mental map of wait what is the florida, florida project <laughs> It was that A24 movie about the little girl who's, like, raised in a motel by, like, I guess, like, a sex worker, like, single teen Oh, I see. Yeah, okay, I've seen photos of this before. Yeah. But I think it's not, like, washed out pastel. um, Yeah, it just... Kind of... feels like Riley Kia, or whatever, however you say her name. Elvis's granddaughter. Mm. It feels like she belongs in this world. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm like drained from yeah. thoughts. I don't know if I have yeah, anything left of me. Too. <laughs> I'm like, me too. I need a tiki drink. Yeah, we do need a tiki drink after this. I really mm. want like, now I'm just like craving a spam masubi. Like, that sounds really good. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> why do I want to do a pop, pop quiz? quiz? <laughs> <laughs> okay, do it. Okay. Uh, pop quiz. What year was the Vietnam War? No. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a terrible pop quiz okay pop quiz what year was Don the Beachcombers opened 1933 yo that's probably right correct I think no that's literally right I wrote it down <laughs> I brought that back to the podcast <laughs> yo okay okay what is what is the main ingredient wait no none of them have main ingredients Rum. okay name names three ingredients in a Mai Tai rum oh fuck um okay i'm looking up the ingredients I'm, and this is like no, this is what i'm saying it's like so many of the ingredients are not something that i can pronounce it's like, like what the hell is or or that's what i say orgeet <laughs> miso almond orgeet lime syrup martinique room which is not yes, rum. Ex- um yeah no literally exactly like the the zombie drink invented by don the beachcomber i like looked into it and one of the ingredients is don's <laughs> sauce it's like, it's like it's like cinnamon syrup mixed with grapefruit juice yeah no honestly i did i did have a zombie and it was really kind of bad where did you have that At tiki chick on the upper west side oh. y'all need to come to Okay. I think it was fucked up. Y'all need to come to the Tiki Tatsuya. That shit was so crazy. I had a pearl. I what was go. it called? A pearl diver, which is a Don the Beach conversing. It's like kind of like it tastes like um like a mango lassi, but like it's like a drink. Dude, <gasps> it was so amazingly good, like crazy. And then like every single time I took a sip of every, I had the Cobra Kai, and then I like it was so incredible, dude. Like 
why is it so japanese themed as well this yeah. is perfect i did i was briefly involved with a guy who was like a huge weeaboo but then he got really into tiki i think that's also another like venue yeah there. there's just well, just, I feel like he's just obsessed with Asia. I think it's just the Pacific Ocean has like a hold on people's psyches because it is just so yeah. like I feel like it's really this is like not good of map drawers like that the Pacific Ocean is always seems like it's kind of cut. In, it, I mean, it, they always cut it in half, right? It just seems like we never really think about the Pacific Ocean. That's because we need to decolonize the map. I'm going to buy a giant Pacific centered yeah. map and that will become my new center yeah. in the world. Pacific. Okay, I have a question for you guys. Yes. Um who this, this is a trick question by the way. I just see this. <laughs> who invented the Mai Tai? Trader Vic. What's your answer, Alexi? I was gonna say it's Trader Vic too, but that seems wrong. Well, so I think that technically is right. He says that he invented it in 1944, but then Don, the beachcomber, said that he invented it in 1933 because he had this like other cocktail called the QB Cooler, which I guess is very similar. But we're going to go with uh, Vic, but it's debated. Apparently, Trader Vic had an affidavit signed by his friend Carrie Wright, who witnessed its creation in 1994 and witnessed. Er, and exclaimed upon drinking it, my Tai Roa Ai, which is Tahitian for out of this world. There's, wow. That's so crazy. Their beef went deep, dude. Trader Vic's a known, he's a known mm. liar. He yeah, all these guys were like old people. massive mm-hmm. cappers. He, like on all their Wikipedia no, pages, no. it's like they were known to be spinning <laughs> <cold tales. laughs> No, Vic was a massive capper. He told people that he lost his leg to a shark attack, but he lost it to tuberculosis. Dude, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> oh my god. I want guys to start being yeah. like this man. Like, I give men me permission to lie. Like, not in a way yeah. where you're, like, lying. Me too. Like, don't lie about how many girls you're talking to, but lie about how you lost For reality. Your leg, you know? Wait, my dad... My dad told me that the scar in his knee was from a shark attack, and I believed it for so long. That is crazy. Yeah, my dad also has this scar that comes with like a really crazy story about how he broke into a plastic factory and like fell into a vat of plastic. But it's probably like, <laughs> but that sounds like, that's like, that's like your dad did that. That's like a cartoon character. <laughs> it's the spot on his leg though that like I used to be so jealous. Like it's so completely flat and shiny and hairless. Damn, It like burned him like so deeply to like his hair follicles. Like, core leg it literally is like barbie smooth i was like i want to do this to my whole body like where is this possible <laughs> the oh, like i need to dip my whole lower body oh my god because he, he that part of his leg is like plastic dude that's like batman or something yeah do you guys think that puka shell necklaces are tiki yes or no no, no they're like they're coconut, coconut girl. girl exactly i thought that could help us distinguish the two for our listeners Oh, guys, I want to give like a I want to give a tip, which is that if you go to a tiki bar and each drink is not served in its own special vessel, it's Amen. This is also true. Dude, also because Amen. those poor yeah. dish, you need to also tip those people well, because it's like those poor dishwashers <laughs> are like, they're the most complicated ass, like weird, like drink containers like cups i guess you would call yeah. them but each each cup needs to have its own like special brush to clean it out they, and like well. you know that they're cleaning the hell out of those because like everything is just really nice in there you know it's like the skull mm-hmm. shape yeah. yeah there's one that was like snake shaped oh it was crazy <laughs> no and then also the, the one i went to had a giant ship like a giant and they call it the um let me see it's 
skeleton cruise. It's a hundred dollar drink. That's like in a giant boat <laughs> and they bring it out. And like, there's all this like smoke coming out of it. And like, they turned off the lights in all the restaurant and all this like green light started like slowly turning on. And they put on these like sound effects of like, Ooh, ah, or whatever. And like everyone, it was oh crazy. God. And everyone kept ordering it. Tiki is such a luxury. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Like I, it's so mm-hmm. deluxe. And for our younger listeners, I hope that the one thing you learn, like, sorry, we're talking about alcohol so much, but <laughs> the one thing you learn is like alcohol should be something you look forward to. And it should be, maybe ritualistic is like an overstatement, but it should be like meaningful and fun and like complicated and exciting and not just like white. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. just like drink. What is it? Like mad dog and like orange juice or something like you know, <laughs> Mickey's like go drink something nice. When you turn 21, go to a tiki bar, really splurge. And tell the bartender he'll get you something yeah. for free. And wear some low-rise mm-hmm. jeans and, like, let your tummy hang out. I kind of like the know. coconut bra thing. Yeah. Like, I kind of like that. Yeah. Like, think, that seems to be, like, there's no way that no, is real, itchy. right? Because it seems like if, like, I don't know, if I were, like, an actual native girl, I feel like I would just, like, not wear a bra mm-hmm. at that point. Like, I don't think bras were, like, a, a thing no, to yeah. them, right? Absolutely. Like, that was a lot of the reports that I read in the Tiki Pop book. They were like, oh, everyone is so like liberal with their nudity or whatever. And like everyone was freaking out over that. Yeah. Yeah. It's very Euro. It's just like Euro. There's like a, yeah. I think that this, these two episodes just show that we each need to go on vacation really bad. <laughs> God. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're on island time. We're just like obsessed with vacation vibes. Like, yeah. I also read something about how um, the original, like in some Polynesian cultures, it was normal for the, men to have really long hair and the women to have really short hair but then like whenever people colonized them they were like you guys need to sprout whoa that's crazy i like that i want to live in a tiki themed apartment building they actually have mm-hmm. those in la they have some here too there's one down the street for me but it's really run down and old a tiki themed apartment building yeah but it's like a really run down it's like some weird it's like the sign is like the name of the apartments in like a hammock between two palm trees and like it's like kind of little huts and stuff, but it's like super like I would not live there. It's like kind of run down and like the ceilings are really low. Yeah. Well, Don Don the beachcomber was allegedly born in Texas. That's so. he's still there. Legend has it. Oh, he lives there. Yeah. Do you guys have any final thoughts on mm. No, not really. I guess I just want to tell you guys like I don't know, like be interested in history. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to wait for a trend to yeah. get really into a subject. Yes, this is very true. Set trends. Also, there's a lot of interesting reading on this that exists. So I'm sure this is good. Yeah, you guys we're gonna have a ton of learn links. more about it. Yeah, if you guys want to learn more about it, feel free to do. It's also obviously like culturally complicated, so you can read about that as well. Mm-hmm. And enjoy responsibly, but you don't even need to say that with tiki drinks. Mm-hmm. It just is built in. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the bartenders at tiki restaurants, tiki bars are like really, really smart. Yes. I feel like they can like tell when someone's like a little bit too drunk mm-hmm. immediately. And they put you out in the hammock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and put a coconut over your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> two, two, two coconuts. <laughs> That'd be really good. Oh, that's my dream. Fuck, where's the nearest tiki bar? Yeah. I can't do this anymore. I Maybe I do have a tiki addiction. Tiki Tatsuya seems actually so perfect, though. Oh, oh my God. I'm obsessed with this place. But it was also, like, the reservations for the actual restaurant. It was, like, three months, like, ahead booked. 
Like we just like, God damn. yeah, but it was like, we sat at the bar and like waited outside, like at a bar next door until we got a text message. And like these texts like an hour later and then we like ran over to the bar and then had a very magical experience. It was amazing. Whoa. I feel like if you can't find a tiki bar, you should make your own tiki drink based off of some recipes mm-hmm. online, some authentic recipes, and then go to the Rainforest <gasps> Cafe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pack it in a, pack it in a Yeti. <laughs> <laughs> Put it in a Yeti. <laughs> oh my gosh. And just yeah. see what happens. True, dude. Okay, well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, it was really fun to research, so... <laughs> yum 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 yeah Ooh. have a tiki tastic um i don't know whatever september we're also like exhausted yeah we're already we just like rode a boat through the ocean yeah <laughs> we sailed yeah. to the south seas. in our in our mind yeah mind yeah <laughs> <laughs> i feel i feel delirious yeah, i don't know why on? i feel like i, I feel so it's delirious. like a what do they call it when you think that you're pregnant so you like start feeling the symptoms i feel like that oh, ghost tiki pre- drinks. Ghost yes like yeah. psychosomatic it's a psychosomatic tiki drunkenness that i feel right now <laughs> but i also just feel happy because i've like gotten it out of my system like mm-hmm. i've been like talking to anyone that would listen to me talk about tiki but now like i don't know there's nothing left to say yeah we did it all except there is yeah, there are a lot. There, are, there's seriously so much like literature on the subject. So yeah, we need to like, like actually, what I found, we need to kind of watch ourselves because it's like the more I learn about, it, the more I know there's more to learn about it. And I'm just like, I feel like getting that into tiki and becoming a true tiki. There's like conventions and stuff, and I feel like we're gonna change the podcast. We're just making a tiki podcast. Like I feel like we're all at danger of becoming like rockabilly. Like you know what I mean? Like oh we need God. to like we, we need to like hold our horses for a second and like yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, I hope I hope we have some like influence on people to become tiki heads. Like Please, us. guys, yeah. And tip your tiki bartenders. Tip your tiki bartenders, dude. They've been doing it for a long time. They know what they're doing. They're literally historians and like keepers of. <laughs> they're literally historians and archivists. And no, okay, yeah, they're um, preservation. The, the, yeah, dude. <laughs> no, 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 no. Literally, the guy who revive tiki they call him like a cocktail <gasps> archaeologist. That's like a <sighs> thing people call him. Wow. Yeah. So Whoa. slay. That is so cool. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Next life. I'll take that job. Okay. Bye, y'all. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.